How are we doing, church? Doing good? You look great. Grab your Bibles. I hope you got them. We're going to be uh, Joshua chapter 3 primarily, but to really understand Joshua 3, we've got to back up to 1 and we've got to go ahead to 4, okay? So I know I'm going to do three chapters in Joshua. Don't worry, it only takes about two and a half hours, and then we'll get you right out of here. So uh, go there. The reason that we're going to do this and the reason we're talking about what God's calling us to in 2016 is the, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, without vision, the people perish, or without vision, uh, people throw off restraint. And we fully believe that God has called us to something. It really started for us uh, last fall, you know, with the Before All Things initiative. And we, we're going to talk through that. But we want to do it through the lens of what God is doing right here through Joshua. So when we get to chapter 3, they're going to cross over the Jordan here in just a minute. And what you've got to understand is in, in the life of the nation of Israel, up to this point, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened. That they were waiting for the fulfillment of this promise from God from all the way back to Genesis 12 when God picked Abram, that was his name then, it, it means father, and he says, I'm going to give you a new name, it's going to be Abraham, which means the father of many nations, and the reason I'm giving you this promised land is because I am calling you as a people to be this special people, this called out people, this city on a hill, and from you, you're going to get a land, and from that land is going to come this one Savior, this Messiah, who is the greater Joshua, his name is Jesus, and through that, Abraham, you are going to bless the entire world, that Jesus is the promised blessing given to Abraham, but, but it actually comes to fruition here in Joshua chapter 3, which leads me to say, hey, what if you looked at your own life, and what if this was the year that some of God's promises in your life became a reality? So how do you do that? How do you go from God's promises to, to your actual reality? Because this is just true. When God came up with the idea that you, that he had a dream for your life, he had a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And it's not to harm you, but it's to give you a hope and a future. So how do you go from God's best for you to your current reality? And in your notes, I put four things. Do not think of these are like four steps. There are no four holy hops to heaven. That's just not how it works. It doesn't work that way in my life. You know, it's not like if I just do these four things, then God owes me. <clears throat> That's not how it works. But as I look through um, Joshua chapter 1, 3, and, and 4, and they walk into the promised land, there's some observations or like ingredients that I see that I think that we need to lean into. So Joshua chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 10. You'll remember that, that the first week we talked about Joshua 1, that Joshua 1 was about inspiration. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. And then chapter 2 was about investigation. They sent the spies into the promised land. They ended up at Rahab's house. That was, she's a prostitute. That was last week's sermon. Go back and listen to that if you missed it. And now we're into information. This is what God is about to do. But again, to understand three, you got to back up to one, and, and here it goes, one ten. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan and go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And then skip down to verse 16. Here's how the people respond. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. So the first thing I see here is this. If you want God's dream and God's promises to be a reality in your own life, it starts right here. It starts with total surrender. With total surrender. Imagine what your life would look like if you said this to the Lord. What would it look like in your own world if you were to say, all right, God, my life is a blank check for you. Spend me as you will for your glory and for my joy. Because that's what these guys do. I mean, look, there's little to no detail at this point about how they're going to pull this thing off. Okay? Because you know what the problem with the Jordan is? There's a river in the Jordan. You don't just walk on through it. And he doesn't give them any of that detail. He just says, hey, let the, the people just respond, all right, here we are. Here we, we'll do whatever you say to do. We'll go wherever you say go. Do you understand? Do you understand how much freedom there is when you get to the place in, in your world where you realize that the whole universe doesn't revolve around you? Because a lot of us have tried to, a lot of us have tried to own it. Like we are the master of the universe and it's up to us to make everything work out. And when you can get to that place in your life where you realize, um, actually I'm just a part of his story and I'm not asking him to just come along and be a part of mine, it'll change everything. And you see, not only is there freedom there, but listen, I don't know about you, but um, 
I, you know, I grew up in and around Southern Baptist Church. That's why I pick on it all the time, all right? And so if you are a Southern Baptist, welcome. You know, I'm glad you're here. But the way I grew up, the preaching I heard was, if I ever surrender my life to Christ, he's going to take away everything from me that I like and make me go places I don't want to go. That, that's what I thought it was. In fact, I remember asking this guy one time, why is there an entire Bible? All God needed to do is a 305 guard that said no. Because I'd be like, can I do this? Is it fun? No. That's the answer to everything that we ever wanted or asked. And I was afraid that, <clears throat> that the way this thing works is that God was going to just rip away from me everything uh, that I liked and just kind of punish me and send me off to, you know, scary countries and stuff. L little did I know, or what I failed to understand, is that he's a really good dad. And when you really believe that he's a good dad and he loves his kids, that's when you can go, okay, God, I'll go where you say go. I'll do what you say do. Because he, there may be some ripping, but he might just rip away the junk in your life so that you could actually walk in that goodness that he has called and created you for. And so there, there's some people like that in the Bible. Like in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is this prophet, and he encounters the almighty God. The train of the robe of God fills up the holy place, and, he, and he's face to face with God, and he thinks God's going to kill me because I'm unholy and you are holy. And then God uh, gives him this picture of salvation. And then, and then Isaiah's response is this, here I am, Lord, send me. I'll go wherever you say go. I'll do whatever you say do. That's the, that's the response when you encounter the holiness of God. Now, let me just warn you. You have been trained almost every day of your life to never, ever do this. I'm talking about all the school that you went to and every commercial that you watch. And we live in a world that says, listen, you can have it your way. And the, the customer's always right. And you deserve and you have these rights. And you're a snowflake and a rainbow and a skittle. And meh, no, you're not. You're really, really not. And if you can get to that place where you can really trust God Almighty, that he's a good dad and his plans, they're actually better for you than your plans for you. And that you could, before, before he even tells you, you could come in and say, all right, Lord, I'm yours. The answer is yes. Now, what's the question? You know who, if, if you begin to do that, you know who you begin to look like? You look like Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he cries out to God, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about going to the cross for our sins. And then he sums up his prayer with this. Not my will, but your will be done. What would it look like in 2016 if this is the year that you say, okay, God, I completely surrender? Are there some places in your life and you've just kind of, you've yet to turn that part of it over to the Lord? Because you think, I got this. I've got to keep a handle on this. What I'm saying is to make God's plans and purposes and promises and dreams a reality in your life, it starts with total, complete, and utter surrender. Which leads to chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from that crabby place to live, I'm not reading it, uh, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people. So here comes the plan. As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. That's like 1,000 yards. And don't come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So if the first part is to surrender, here I am, Lord, send me. Wherever you say go, whatever you say do, I'm going to follow you before I even know the details of it. <clears throat> the second is this. The second is to prioritize. And I don't mean reprioritize your life. I mean prioritize as Jesus before all things. You see, that journey that we began uh, last year in the Before All Things initiative was not just a generosity journey. It was first and foremost and fundamentally a discipleship journey where all of us, hopefully every day for, for the rest of our life, ask this question, Jesus, are you really preeminent in my life? Are you really before all things in my life, in all of my life, not just my church life? but in all aspects of my life. Because the reality is this, if Jesus is not first in your life, it doesn't matter how you reorder all the rest of it, your whole life's out of order. And so what they're doing is, is uh, Joshua is telling the people, listen, we're gonna put God first, that the ark is gonna go before us. And then we are gonna follow at a distance the ark, the presence of God, and we're gonna follow it through the Jordan into the promised land. Now, at this point, you got to think, he's talking to real people, okay? And if I'm in the crowd, I'm kind of thinking, can I take back my all that you have commanded us we will do? Because that seems like a dumb plan. 
You see, uh, I don't know how many priests you know, but they're not typically the toughest guys in the world, all right? And I can say it and pick on them because what are they going to do, beat me up? No way, okay? I know a lot of pastors and they're mostly wimps. And so they're not the people that you send first into the battle. There's another group of men in Joshua called the mighty men of valor, okay? This is like guys with muscles and swords and, you know, they just like to hit stuff. And I would send them first, all right? And so Joshua lays out this plan. He's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're going to send the presence of God first, and then we are going to follow him. Now, do you know what a lot of us do? Now, none of you would use this language, but a lot of us don't do that. What a lot of us do, and I'm talking about Christians, church people, you're in disciple group, I love Jesus, yes, I do, I love Jesus, how about you kind of people, okay? I'm talking about all in. A lot of times what we do is we like to try to put God on a leash and have him follow us around. And then when we need him, we say, hey, 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 since you're here with me, would you go ahead and give me a blessing? We like to do our plans and then, and then ask God to bless our plans instead of us saying, God, can we be a blessing to what you've planned? It's fundamentally different. And you're like, no, 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 I don't do that. No, a lot of us do. Like in our finances, we do it all the time in our finances. The Bible has a lot to say about what we are supposed to do with the money that he has put us over. And a lot of us go, no, I'm not doing it your way, God. I'm doing it my way. The Bible says the rich rule over the poor and, uh, and the debtor is slave to the lender. In other words, if you ain't got money, don't buy stuff. That's what it means. And we're like, whatever, whatever. And, and what you really need is Jesus, but instead I'll take a flat screen. And we rack up this credit card debt like crazy and we put ourselves in just horrible financial situations. And then we say, now God, will you just come bless my finances? And he goes, I'd really love to, but you're the problem. When you're the Lord of your own life and you have not allowed me to be the Lord of your life, then I, I think you're going to have to ask your master card to see if they'll help, help you. And they won't. They won't. And see, and we do it. And, and, and you, we never really think about it that way. But we disobey God, go down a path, it leads somewhere that, that he told us not to go, and then we get there and say, hey, will you please come bless this? Or let me just really dig around in your business while we're all here together. Uh, <laughs> Some of you date like a pagan. Some of you date like a pagan. Like you don't believe that God created her. You don't believe that God created you. And you're letting people use you and abuse you as if Jesus didn't pay for you with his blood. And you're valuable and you should be treated as valuable. And fellas, some of you date like a, like a functional atheist. Like you're actually not going out with the daughter of a king. And you use her up like a commodity, commodity, and when you get all that you can out of her, you trade her in for a new model, and then one day, you date like that, and date like that, and date like that, and then you want God to bless your marriage. It just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't, because it, essentially it's like this. You get him on a leash, you're like, come on, God, come on, come on, come on, here you go, here you go, come with me. And that's how we treat God Almighty. And we put us first and ask for his blessing. You're all lighting it up, you're about to have a heart attack, I can tell, all right, just relax. <laughs> like, how do you know? I know, okay? <laughs> this is my favorite one. You'll experience this this week. <laughs> you pray this prayer. You ask God's blessing because you pray this prayer. Dear God, please bless this food to the nourishment of our body and thus to thy service. Here's the problem with that prayer. If you're praying it while you're driving through somewhere and getting food from a clown in the window of your car, that food just doesn't do that. You understand what I mean? It is a miraculous hand of God to be able to do that. And if, and if you treat your body like it's not the temple of God, if you are a poor steward with your body and, and just beat it down and beat it down and beat it down and then at the end say, dear God, heal me, I'm telling you, the problem there is, is it's like putting God on a leash and you're saying, I'm going first, get in line, God. And he is not a genie in the bottle that if you could just say the right little tickle me Jabez prayer that he pops out and he owes you something. That is not how it works. You see, what we are about here is the preeminence of Christ. What Joshua is telling them, the ark goes first. Now, I'm one of those old school guys who think the whole book's about Jesus, all right? It's not like the Old Testament, you know, is about kind of angry God, then Santa Claus comes and it gets kind of chill. That is not how it works, all right? The whole thing is a big neon sign about Jesus. And so the ark itself is a tangible expression foreshadowing Jesus is on his way. You see, the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, if you'd like a really good study, uh, a really good documentary on it, go home, get to Netflix, and watch um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You'll learn everything you need to know about the Ark of the Covenant. But the Ark of the Covenant is this box. It's this big box. And inside the Ark of the Covenant was the covenant, the Ten Commandments, the laws of God. The perfect laws of God are in this box. And so it was made of acacia wood. 
which is just like a regular, ordinary wood, which really represents humanity. But it was overlaid in gold, which represents divinity, that, that humanity was wrapped in divinity. And on top of the box, it, it had this lid, and on the lid were these two cherubim, or these two angels, and they faced one another. And they faced one another in such a way that it looked like a throne, and it was called the mercy seat of God, the mercy seat of God. And so it was to represent the presence of God, that God would sit on that mercy seat, on his throne here on the earth. And it was kept in the Holy of Holies. In this, once they eventually build the temple, there's a special room in there, and it was just for the Ark of the Covenant. And it represented the presence of God. And nobody could go in there because you could not, as, as sinful people, you couldn't just go face to face with a holy and just God. And one time of year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, he would shed the blood of a lamb, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And that lid that held in the Ten Commandments, it was, the Hebrew word for it is, the where, is where we get the word propitiation. Propitiation means a payment that satisfies. And this thing, this ark, they would sprinkle the blood on the propitiation so that when God would look down, instead of seeing his broken law by us, he would see the blood of an innocent lamb to cover over the broken laws for a year. And it was all pointing to that there would be a day when Jesus, the Lamb of God, would come not to cover over sin for a year, but to take away the sin, not just of the Jewish religious people, but of all people. And that his blood would be the propitiation for our sin, the payment that satisfies. So essentially, what Joshua is saying here is, Jesus goes first in your life, and then everything else orders itself after that. So the first thing to realize God's promises in our life is to surrender, and then you've got to prioritize by making sure that Jesus is before all things. Verse five, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. We're gonna come back to that in just a little while. Verse six, and Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. Notice that he still hasn't really told them how. And I think the people are like, now how is this gonna work? This doesn't even make sense to us. And I think Joshua is just leaning in like, listen, it's not so much about the how, it's about the who. And so he gives some more detail. Verse seven, the Lord says to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Parasites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. I think you can get all that on Amazon. All right, verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from among the tribes of Israel, from, from each tribe of man, and when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Now let's, let me just tell you, I think if you're hearing this plan, you're thinking, I don't think that's a good plan. I mean, think about it. Well, we, we're seriously, we're sending the guys in robes carrying the box. That's what we're going with first. And we have to step back, uh, like keep back a thousand yards. So what happens if they get attacked? I mean, I don't think this is a great plan. And, and Joshua, how is this going to work? To which I think Joshua would say, I don't know how it's going to work. The point is not how, the point is who. And if we really trust God, if we really surrender and say, all right, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll go wherever you say go. And if we really prioritize Christ as before all things, then our job is just to obey God one step at a time and trust him with the results. You just obey God one step at a time and you trust him with the results. And so let me ask you this. What area in your life requires you to trust God one step at a time and, and just count on him for the results? You see, very few of us actually do that. We like to have everything figured out before we ever take that first step out. And here's what's crazy. The Bible says, basically, that the currency by which we know God is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what area and arena in your life requires faith right now? Or do you have it all figured out? And see, a lot of us, we can have kind of the um, you know, paralysis of analysis. Well, I'm not really gonna step out until I really figure out where I'm going. That requires no faith. The Bible says walk by faith. 
and not by sight. So, so what area of your life? Because I think, I think maybe Joshua leans into these guys and he says, hey, listen, I don't know how it's going to work, but, here's, but how about this? Do you guys know how to pack? And they're like, yeah, we're excellent packers for 40 years. That's all we did. We just pack, 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 one around pack, unpack, repack. All right, we're really good at packing. Okay, do you know where the Jordan is? Yep, it's right over there. I can see it from here, okay? It's right there. That's the problem. All right, can you count to three? Yes, one, two, three. All right, you got it. In three days, pack up your junk, meet me at the Jordan. And why don't we just head towards what God has called us to by faith, stick our toes in the water, and let's just see what happens. So now, here's the problem with the Bible if you've been around it too long. You already know how it's going to go. Now, guess what? It's going to go really well. If it didn't, it probably wouldn't be in here. You know what I'm saying? So you already know the end, so you don't understand the faith by which these men and women had to have to pack up their stuff and just start heading toward the water. Not after the water's parted, but while they're still in, you know, the, the river in the Jordan. So my question would be, what about you? What are you doing in your life that requires God to show up in a mighty way or something's not going to go well? Well, I would tell you. And if you don't know how this thing is going to work out, if you know God is leading you to reconcile a relationship with an old friend and you're like, I don't know how in the world that's going to happen, I would say, do you know their number? Do you know how to work a phone? Well, then just pick it up, make the call, go head, head towards the water, stick your toes in it, and let's just see. Maybe the Lord will do something. Maybe the Lord will do something. Because I'm telling you, the biggest faith journey in my life has been this <laughs> this roller coaster that we call 1122. It's not really a roller coaster. It's just all up. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's what it's been like. But I know years ago, I don't know if this will help you, but it helps me to talk about it. So welcome to my therapy session. So uh, years ago, four or five years ago, I, just in my prayer time, all I could really pray for almost a year was just, Lord, I surrender. I didn't even know what he was calling me to surrender. But I would be praying. I'd be like, Lord, I just surrender. I, I don't even know what it is, but I just surrender. And then it became evident to me that what he was calling me to surrender was the youth ministry that I'd spent a decade trying to build. And then I was like, no, 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 no. I meant something bad. I was going to surrender like lust or greed or, you know, something like that. Not, not this thing, because God, I've already worked it out in my mind how it really benefits you for me to work with these kids. Don't you see what a good plan I've made for you? And, and he was like, no, no, no. I need you to just let go of it. And I'm talking about and it was tough. It was like an identity crisis. I mean, that's just who I thought I was. And he's like, no, no, no. You are not what you do. You are who I purchased for you to be. Your identity is in Christ. And listen, and little did I know, I had no earthly idea that what the Lord was preparing me to do was to launch the Church of 1122. I had no earthly idea. And as we started that, can I tell you, there was hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. There's all this stuff that doesn't make any sense at all. Tony Slayman had a policy at his business where he did not work with churches. And he owns Walmart. And we found Walmart, and everybody's like, it's impossible. And I'm like, yeah, but if I could just get his number and I know how to work my phone, and I'll just start walking in that direction, and let's see what the Lord does. You fast forward three years, and he's on a mission trip with us to Jamaica. Bill Norfolk is just crying his face off, right? I mean, it's just, watch what the Lord does. It's amazing. And listen now, don't get me wrong. I know it's easy when you get past it and look back and be like, look how faithful I was. But I'm talking about there was fear and trembling. <laughs> We're standing out in front of that place and they're putting a big cross up. And I was like, oh, I think anybody will show up. It's crazy. And I signed all the paperwork. We weren't even a real entity yet. And I remember thinking, well, if the whole thing falls apart, I'll be out dozens of dollars. Because that's all I had. But I was willing just to lay it all out there and just be obedient one step at a time. You see, the Bible says walk by faith. Walk by faith. You know what we want? GPS. Like, Lord, could you just send us turn-by-turn turn directions, okay? But you know what? That does not require faith. In my life, he usually only shows me just barely enough for the next turn. He rarely shows me the end of it. And so, if faith is the currency by which we know God, then maybe that kind of, defend, that, that kind of dependence and not knowing is actually a positive and not a negative. And so, they do it. Verse 17. And now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Now, I want to keep going into chapter 4 because I think it's super important. 
Because when you are in those kind of moments, you ever have those moments, those faith moments with God where he's so real, he's moving so strong in your life, he, he answers a prayer, or I mean, he just does something crazy awesome, and you, you don't even, it's almost like you don't need faith because it's like you can see God right there. You ever get those moments, sometimes in worship maybe, this will happen to me, I mean, you're just worshiping with your hands up, eyes closed, just going for it, all right? And you feel like if I open my eyes real fast, I'll see Jesus, you know what I'm saying? Well, see, those moments are really, really, really important to hold on to because if you've been walking with Christ for a while, I know a lot of you are brand new Christians, but just, just trust me here. There are going to be some moments where you walk around and you're like, uh, Lord, where'd you go? I don't see you. Where, where are you? And listen, that doesn't mean that, actually, you're a lot like King David that wrote a lot of the Psalms. That's why I love David in the Psalms. Sometimes when I read Paul in the New Testament, he intimidates me because he's always just like standing there with his cape, like, you know, saying great things, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm like, really? Okay. So, but, but David will say things like, like, Lord, I love to sit in your presence. And then on the same page of scripture, the next, the next Psalm will be, dear God, where are you? I cry out and I do not hear you. And I'm like, okay, he's crazy like me. Cause that's how I feel sometimes, right? And so, because of that reality, here's what God tells Joshua to tell the people to do in chapter 4, verse 5. It says, And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in the time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, and they took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. So you surrender, you prioritize, you obey, and this one's important, and you remember. And you remember. When you get to those places in your life and like, where are you, God? What God says is really important to do is to look back over your shoulder and be like, well, it's hard for me to see the hand of God right this second, but here's what I can see, that he's been so faithful, not just to me, but generation after generation after generation. And I can tell you, with our, with our mobile culture, I'm not like anti-culture guy, but with our mobile culture, and it's a lot of little nuclear families now instead of one big like greater family, one of the things that we've missed out a whole lot on is storytelling from one generation to the next. If you ever travel with us to go to third world countries and we'll sit with some families, they don't have anything to do to entertain themselves like TV and all of that, praise God. And so families will get together and they'll just tell, kind of tell about God's faithfulness in their family over and over and over and over. And when I read about this, about the fact that a generation's going to come one day and, and a kid's going to see these rocks and be like, hey, dad, what's with the rocks? And, and, the, and the dad's going to be like, oh, my goodness, son, we we, like me and your mama and your grandparents and your aunts and uncles, that we got to experience this move of God in our lives. You see over there on the desert on the other side of the door, we used to live over there. It was terrible. It was terrible, okay? And then one day, one day, God puts his mighty hand in the river Jordan and parts it, and we walk through on dry ground, and the kid's going to be like, shut up. No way. And he's like, I know. It's crazy. That's why we put it here, so, so that we would be reminded of God's mighty work in our life. And see, you don't wait until you need those kind of moments to remember those kind of moments. It, it's like this, okay? I'm going to help you out here. It's very important stuff. Uh, it reminds me of blood trailing a deer, okay? I deer hunt a lot, mostly with a bow. And I know there's always some people who are like, uh, I'm a vegetarian. Listen, I love vegetarians, okay? I really do. Deer vegetarians, and they're great. All right, so, uh, <laughs> but I bow hunt mostly. And so you shoot a deer, the arrow passes through, they start bleeding. And so you get down from your tree after about an hour or so, depending on the shot, and then you got to go blood trail them because they just run off about 100 yards, depending on the shot. And what you do is you, you got to find some evidence, you know. That's why it's called a blood trail. And you look and you find some. And you go, oh, there's some, and there's some more, and there's some more, and there's some more. And you start making your way. And one of the best things to do, they sell this stuff like at Dick's Sporting Goods and Academy, and it's uh, this reflective, like, trailing tape, and you can put it up, but it's expensive, so I use toilet paper. So I just, when I get to some, I put a little piece of toilet paper in the tree and keep going, put a little toilet paper in the tree, and eventually... If you, I don't see anybody writing this down. This is important, people. It's going to help you in your life. And so eventually you'll get to a spot and you run out of, there's nothing, you just can't find it. You're like, I don't, I don't see hair. I don't see a track. I don't, which way did he go? And you're trying to figure it out in the woods, you know, and think like a deer and be like, did he go that way? Did he go that way? And that's when it becomes really, really important to mark that trail. 
Because if you'll just turn back and look over your shoulder, what's crazy is even though there's no evidence right here, there's all of this evidence of where he's been, and the best predictor of where he's going is where he's been. And you can begin to see the pathway that he's taken, and it'll often help you head in the right direction. That's what these stones are about. That you would look back over, over your life in the past and say, hey, the best evidence of God's faithfulness in the future has been his consistent faithfulness to me in the past. So here's what I dare you to do. I know only about 10% of you are going to do this, and it'll be all women. But men, I need you to do this too. I dare you today, before you go to bed, to get out a notebook or pictures or whatever. And what if you pulled 12 stones out of your past? And put them in a place that would remind you of the faithfulness of God. And I'll give you the first one, the cornerstone of the whole thing. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. That God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. So sometimes when you're looking at, at your week or your day or your current circumstances, you look around and you're like, I just don't see any evidence of God moving in my life. And so God says, well, just look back first and foremost to the cross. It is the exclamation point in human history that God is for you. When Jesus dies for you, that means he's for you. And then what else? Another stone in my life is Coach Bull Lee, that this man turned down an NFL career because he felt like God was calling him to coach young men and to just share the gospel with these young men. There's no Coach Lee, there's no 1122. And so I can look back at the faithfulness of that man. And I mean, I can keep going and keep going. When we, when we first, when we were erecting that cross out there, and I remember Gretchen and I just prayed like crazy. I cannot believe that what was a dream, we're now beginning to kind of walk into this reality. And the presence of God was just so real to me in that moment. Or to the 104 people that got baptized last weekend in all of our services, that is like a stone of remembrance that you could look back and be like, yep, I know God was present with me in that moment. And you need to write those things down when, when his presence is just all over, when you know that he's moving like crazy. And I dare you to do that. And so, how do you make God's dream for you a reality? You surrender, you prioritize, you obey, and you remember. And I think when we do those things, that chapter 3, verse 5 can become a reality in our life. Consecrate yourself. Now, that word just means to, like, clean yourself up to be usable by God. So in the Old Testament, there was like this ceremonial washing. They wash their clothes a special way. They do all kinds of stuff. But in Christ, we have been consecrated unto him through the blood of Jesus on the cross. And so he says, consecrate yourself. Get ready. And, and listen to this promise. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. Can I just be honest? The Lord has been doing wonders among us. And before we step into what God is calling us to do in the future, one of the things that really, really helps is to look back over your shoulder. For us, it's only three years, but to look over our shoulder and see the faithfulness and the incredible wonders of God in us and to us and through us. And so if you'll grab this piece of collateral here, there's one in the seat back in front of you. If you'll grab that, I know some of you type A people have already jumped in the end, like, what are we building now? Okay, just relax. <laughs> Here's what we think God's calling us to do. But before we get there, it's just so helpful to see the faithfulness of God. You see this little timeline here? By the way, when you close it, isn't it cool how it looks like camo right there? But it's not. But you open it up and you see that back in 2008, back in 2008, some of us at, at Beach United Methodist Church decided, what if we did a new kind of service? Just a new kind of service. And can I just tell you, we had no idea if it would work. No idea. And, and the point wasn't even that it would be work, but just God would be glorified in worship and word. And in fact, this is what a horrible leader I am. I got our people together and said, this really isn't going to work. And here's why. Ben Williams is a little too intense when he sings. He's going to freak all the new people out. They're like, is he crying? You know, it's going to be like that. And I'm going to teach too long, and I'm going to go verse by verse through the Bible, and I'm kind of mean. I don't mean to be. It just comes out of me, okay? And, it, and it's just not going to reach people, but, but, it's literally what I told our team. But if we could make 300 disciples, we'd change Jacksonville. We had this plan. We were going to bring the whole crew, all of 1122. We thought it would be 300 people. We are going to bring them to my house, and now it's not happening. Okay, so, and then when we got, to, we got to our very first Easter, we began to fast and pray. And I grew up in Southern Baptist. I never fasted from anything except rated our movies and Budweiser, always. That was a permanent fast on those things, all right? And so, and we fasted and prayed. I'm telling you, God just unleashed something our first Easter. And he began to move. And we just tried to strip away all the stuff that people made up that kept people from meeting Jesus. And we just said, we're just gonna go for it like crazy. And let me tell you, I tried to kill it multiple times. I tried to kill it. Uh, <clears throat> when, we very, when we first started, we used to pass the plate. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that anymore. And, and people were like, you're gonna kill it. And I thought, listen, if I can kill it, it's not of God. 
That's what Gamaliel says in Acts chapter 5 when he gives this advice. He says, he says don't do anything with these disciples because if this is of them, it's going to stop anyway. But if this is of God, you can't stop it. And I just thought, I just thought, listen, if this thing is built on how good Ben Williams sings and how good I preach, then shut her down tonight and let us be about the Lord's business. But if this really is a movement of God, then all we've got to do is keep him first and follow after him. And look, folks, the rest is history. When we launched this place and then, and then we did a restore and we, all these kinds of things, God has just been moving and moving and moving. And that's what these, all these numbers right here are to represent some of those stones of God's faithfulness. Like, for instance, uh, just last year, just since we opened Hope's Closet, over 31,000 people have been served there. And here's what's crazy. There, there, are, there have been multiple people surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ, not in an excellent gospel presentation by me, but because they went in to look to buy some old shirts and they were dressed in the righteousness of Christ. There was a lady a few weeks ago that was in the public's parking lot and she was just at her wit's end because of her children and she just saw the word hope on the sign. She didn't even see the thrift store part. She just saw hope and she walks into that place and she says, I've lost all hope. And our staff that are ministers of the gospel just gather around her and pray for her and help her meet Jesus. That's happening right down there. That, Amen. Then last year, last year, just last year, 425 people were baptized, that almost 2,000 people have joined disciple groups, that we support eight church plants, that last year we averaged uh, over 750 kids and, and about 230 students, and that number's already up to over 300 students now, and, and on average last year there was uh, over 4,700 adults that would attend services, and, and I always get some people to like, why are you always talking about the numbers? Listen, there's a book in the Bible called Numbers. You understand what I'm saying? God didn't say, go get some stones. He said, go get 12, all right? He counts. Do you know why we count? Because you count to God. Everyone, I mean, hear me, hear me. Every one of these numbers represent a person that Jesus died on the cross for. Every one of these numbers represents a son or a daughter that a mama and daddy have been praying for for a long, long time. And, and when, you know, when people are like, why does it got to be so big? Well, what part of the family are we going to exclude? I kind of want to vote that person at first, but you can say too. But the point is, we're not just trying to, it's not about crowds and stuff, man. It is about individual people surrendering to Jesus and then growing in that relationship with him. And growing Christians always bring more people to Jesus. We have no marketing strategy. We have none of that sort of stuff. The only thing that's happened here is God is doing a mighty, mighty work. And when he changes your life, you just bring people with you. Even if you can't answer all their questions and stuff, you're like, I don't know, but just come on. Come and check this out. It is crazy. All right? Guy in a robe is going to take an ark and just walk into the water, and somehow we're going to end up in the promised land. That's kind of what it's like. You're like, I don't know what happens. Just go in this room, and it's kind of, you just, you'll just see. Just come check it out. And then God does stuff. Like 13 kids were adopted through our ministries last year. 24 kids were fostered. 655 of you have taken a step into covenant membership, which means you're not just a consumer of 1122 anymore, but you're a covenant member. You're an owner of the mission, vision, and values. Thank you. There are almost 200 of us went on uh, short-term mission trips last year. That have, we have almost 1,500 people that serve on our serve staff. And my favorite number is 3,245 people have surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ since we opened the doors. That's amazing. Which leads us to where we're going. If you open it up, there's before all things. That is review. That is review. This is what God is calling us to do, to make sure that he is before all things. You'll remember in the before all things initiative that it was a one-fund approach which means a part of Before All Things was to fund like our, our regular making disciples right here at the church. That's why we didn't do like an operating fund and a building fund and all that kind of stuff, that it's all the Lord's money. And so that's what this is about. And here's what's crazy awesome. What was, what was a dream and a vision of God just last fall is now a current reality in our Bay Meadows location. Do you know, I mean, we've launched it, we're three weeks in, um, that people are meeting Jesus there. Ten people just at the 1122 service last week there got baptized. Is that not just amazing? I mean, it's amazing. Nothing like sputtering applause for life change, but that's all right, I'm going to train you up one day. Which leads us to where we're going and where we're focusing in 2016. And let me just tell you this. Um, I don't do this the way that I was taught to do this. I've been taught by very smart preachers, I should probably listen to them more, that when the church is as big as ours is, that my job is to just um, not leave any unanswered questions. 
to make sure that everything's buttoned up real tight, that everything's super clear, that we know exactly what we're doing and when we're doing it and how much it's going to cost. And don't tell any of y'all until I know all of that. Okay, well, I don't know any of that. No, no. Number one, the thing that we're leaning into is to launch a healthy Bay Meadows location and beyond that we are praying and looking for right now locations three and four. And I don't know where, and I don't know when, and I don't know how much. And here's what I need. I need you praying like crazy because you have the same Holy Spirit I have. It's called the priesthood of believer. I do not have a special bat phone to Jesus, you understand? And I need us praying together, and I need you to pray for me in the position that I'm in, that we can make wise decisions. The other thing here at 1122 is that leadership is a team sport. We have a board of elders, we have an incredible staff, and we do these kinds of things together. I can tell you where I'm leaning, where I think the Lord is kind of nudging us toward. Just like a year ago, we felt like he was pointing us toward Bay Meadows, and then he just opened it up. Hey, here's a sports bar. Take it. Make it a church, all right? And now, where we feel like the Lord is leaning is north of here. That we have on any given weekend, just, just right here at our San Pablo location, we have almost 2,000 adults that we know of from Arlington and Fort Carolina area. And so we're praying like crazy that we can take an expression of the gospel that's 1122 and that we can go that way so that some of you that live there, that 1122 will be in your backyard that way. So pray like crazy. Pray like crazy. And here's why. Here's why I tell you this. As I was looking over this, I pulled out my 2014 vision piece. So two years ago, I stood here and and said a lot of similar things. And here's the thing. If you look way back at 2014... I did it then too. I said, listen, I don't have it figured out, so can you join us in prayer that God would make clear the directions that we need to go? And here's the thing two years ago I was asking you to pray for. I said, hey, I think God might be calling us to do something with that empty wind Dixie down there. And I don't know when, and I don't know how much, and I don't know, I don't know any of the how, but I know the who. And he's leading us to move in that direction. And little did I know it was going to be Hope's Closet and that God would redeem people unto himself there. The other thing that I asked you to pray about, and we didn't know any of the details, was a multi-site strategy. And just so, and, and we, didn't, we didn't know where. We put the dot so big it covers half of Florida and half of Georgia, all right? Just so you realize, is that my neighborhood? Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> and you know what we did? I, I hope we did, what Josh, just one step at a time. We just one step at a time. We'll do some surveys, we'll call some people, we'll pray like crazy, we'll just take one step at a time and by faith trust that God will reveal it as we go. So that, that's a part of it, that, that we are looking for our next two locations. Also, we talk about this being a family. And so if you look right here at the bottom, it says 1122 life. Your family has certain rhythms, you know, a year has certain seasons, and there's kind of a rhythm to church life here at 1122. There are four big events that just a lot of momentum happens around. Um, the first one's Easter. We're going to celebrate Easter every year for sure. But we, the way we do it here is we kick it off with an elder-led prayer night, and we do 40 days of fasting to just get our hearts ready to celebrate Resurrection Day. And it is a miserably awesome experience to do that, and I want you to join with us on it. And then uh, in the summer, beach baptism is June the 5th. If you've never tailgated for Jesus, you've never lived. It is like the biggest celebration of what God is doing in us and through us and among us where hundreds of people will go out into the Atlantic Ocean. It'll be the best waves ever of the year. That's just how it happens because he loves us. And, and people will proclaim Jesus as their Lord and we'll dunk them and people will go crazy on the, on the beach. I mean, there are these families in these tents watching this person that they've been praying for like crazy and they think, God, he must be real because if that one can get saved, there's hope for any of them, Okay. And then saturated is this fall, September 14th through 18th. I bring in the top-notch gospel preachers that I know to come and just help us to saturate in the Word of God and the presence of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when I moved from working with students to working with adults, the problem with adults is we quit going to camp. And I know you're here for like an hour and a half, but I can see it. Like the Lord's starting to get to you, and you're like, oh, if I can just hold out for 10 minutes, and you go out to the car, and like, whew, he almost got on me. Okay, I think I'm good. <laughs> I was about to change my whole life, but we can't do that. I'm skipping next week. I'm not coming back. All right. I know. I know. And so what we do, man, is we just lean in like crazy. I mean, we just dive deep in and say, all right, Lord, just saturate us with who you are. And you need to be a part of that. And then, and then lastly, we're going to do a Christmas Eve service again this year. Just because of the way the calendar falls and all of that. And listen, you traditionalists, this does not mean I'm not guaranteeing it every year, okay? So just we're in a one-year contract extension. That's all. 
And here's where I need you praying too, because I don't have this all figured out. It's just a nudge, it's just a leaning, and I want you to pray, okay, just pray. To God, not to me, not be like, hey, you know, but just pray. Here's kind of what I'm thinking. What if we did a Christmas Eve service, and for the first time ever, 1122 was all under one roof? It'll be a big roof, you know? But we did something somewhere where we could all just do like one big service, to be about 10,000 of us will gather together to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So pray, because there's about 25 reasons why that can't happen. You know what? But God is bigger than like zoning and roofs and weather and all those kinds of things. But we are just going to take one step at a time. And here's why I shared these big four things with you. I think you should schedule your entire 2016 around these. If you go to Disney on June 5th, are you dumb? <laughs> Mickey's going to be there all the time. But how often do thousands of people celebrate, hundreds of people getting baptized? You've got to be at that. And you don't, and, and you got to be here in September. You should schedule it because, because God has been so faithful in these events to show up and just and do incredible things. The third thing is this. This is a big discipleship focus. My goal is that every single one of you that call 1122 home would take your next step of faith. And it's broad on purpose because we're a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. Some of you are way over here on the discover piece. And you're still kind of kicking the tires of church, and you don't even know if you believe the Bible or all that stuff. You're just super new. I just want you to take a, your next step. Your next step might be um, to come back next week because you've never been to church two weeks in a row. It's amazing, okay? We'll be back. You should too. And you might commit, okay, my next step is to be here for the whole Joshua series. Or, or your next step might be, I'm not going to leave during the last song anymore. That's your, your next step. Or your next step might be to step out from where you are and come down here and pray. And then there's some of you way over here, all right? And you grew up in church, and you grew up in Awanas, and you won the sword drills, and you've been to catechism, you've done all that, and you were in Sunday school with Noah, and it was great, okay? You've, you've been around. And you've been leading stuff, and be, you, everything we've asked you to do, you've been a part of. And your next step of faith might be to lead that mission trip instead of just attend. Or to branch out from your disciple group that you love so much, and they love you too. And y'all can, you know, you can hang out at other times too. And you might, have to, you might be called to lead, to lead a disciple group. Or your next step might be to become a covenant member, to not just be a, a, a receiver of what happens here, but an owner of what happens here. Here's the thing. I'm just asking you to take whatever, what, see, I'm not your Holy Spirit. Whatever the next step God calls you to do, and you're like, I don't know if it'll work. I don't know if I can do all that. Okay, listen. Can you find your respond card? It's right in front of you. Can you find the Connect Center? I'll help you. It's right there. No matter where you're watching this, it's always right there, Okay. <laughs> on purpose, <laughs> so I can point and go, there it is, so no one would be confused. And what if you just picked it up and obediently just took one step at a time and watch what God does in your life? And then the fourth thing is this, that, that 2016, we are gonna have a discipleship emphasis on men. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, stand up and act like men. Now, here's what's great. Um, at some churches, if they do this kind of thing, the women kind of rise up and be like, what about us? Not 1122 women are like, get them, pastor. We'll hold them, you get them. All right, so <laughs> where do you go, girls? Appreciate you. <clears throat> so to the women, let me just say this. From the empty tomb until today, all throughout church history, you have carried more than your fair share all throughout church history. But a lot of times, especially, especially in, in current times, because we live in crazy times. I mean, we really do. Um, that a lot of men, especially when it comes to church and leadership and things like this, they just kind of tap out and abdicate responsibility, and they're really just lazy and boys that can shave instead of men of God that are supposed to stand up and act like men. And this is just what's true by the way God designed things, that when men lead and love well, everyone flourishes. When men lead and love well, primarily at home and at church, and it also is true at work, then everybody flourishes, children flourish, and wives flourish, and women in general flourish, and everyone flourishes when men lead and love well. And we're gonna call men to stand up and act like man, to be the kind of man that Christ has called you to be, to love your wife like Christ loved the church, and quit being so lazy in that arena, and to lead, even in here at church, to step out in faith, instead of, instead of just kind of following her along because you've abdicated your leadership. And to dig in, and I'm not talking about some caricature of a man, okay? We're not just adding more deer heads and more plaid and boots, all right? That's whatever. But we're talking about that men would lead in love like Jesus did. That he would leverage his responsibility to wash his disciples' feet. And this would be a place, I'm telling you folks, we want to change Jacksonville if the men of 1122 would treat people like Jesus does. 
that we would not make much of us, but we would lower ourselves to lift other people up. I'm telling you, it, we could change our entire city. And so we're focusing some energy and effort toward this. We've got a lot of marriage stuff happening. We've got a, a marriage conference next month. We're partnering with First Baptist downtown, and my friend Matt Chandler and his wife Lauren's going to be here. It's called Mingling of Souls. You should sign up for that. You should be there, all right? First Baptist has a room that's got like 23 million seats or something, okay? So sign up. We should all be there together. Um, our band is leading. Also, we, we're hosting a couple of marriage retreats. One of them's going to be a little smaller, and it's at Cabin Bluff, and it's going to be like a four-day date with you and your wife, with some Bible study and worship and teaching on what it means. And men, what if this was the year that you crossed over that Jordan that you've been afraid to cross over and you actually lead and love well at home? And you are the one who says, baby, I think we need to sign up for this instead of the other way around. We're also gonna do another marriage kind of conference and we're looking for the time and date now, but it'll be bigger, much less expensive. And we think hundreds of couples could be there. And Gretchen and I are gonna be a major part of the leadership of all of these things. Um, We've got multiple opportunities for you to go on couples mission trips. You should go just sweat in the name of Jesus together and watch what God does in your marriage with your hearts. We've also got three encounter men's retreats this year. Uh, the last two years, I've taken men on, on hunting trips. This year, we've got a hunting version, which is awesome. I'm leading that one. We have a surf version led by Pastor Ben, and we've got a golf version led by the Pastor Ryan, Stone and Britt. And wives, you do. You should nudge your men to go. We will bring them back better, hopefully, okay? It's like training school. And what we want to do is get them around other men that love Jesus and have an encounter with the Almighty God. Also, I'll teach a five-week series this fall on biblical manhood. And I'm adding a sixth week called It's Not Good for Man to Be Alone. And women, we're going to talk to you about what we need here at church and in our community, what we need from you. And then also, there'll be supplemental disciple group materials. And all of this, you can sign up for all of this at coe22.com slash leadwell. If you're interested, I would encourage you to do it fast because they fill up super fast. And that is what God is calling us to do this year. And so you say, what do I do? What do I do? I re this is legit. I want you to take this home, and I want you to pray for our church in what God is calling us to do. And, and, and as we all kind of be like, well, how are we, we going to do all that? It's more about the who than the how. Now here's what we're going to do, man. We, we're going to surrender. We're going to continuously say, all right, Lord, we'll do whatever you call us to do. We'll go wherever you tell us to go. And then we're going to prioritize, make sure that Jesus is before all things in our life, as opposed to trying to put a leash on God and get him to follow us around. We're going to obey just one step at a time. And then we're going to remember. We're going to, we're going to look over our shoulder, back first and foremost to the cross, and just see how faithful God has been. And listen, do you know what hangs in the balance? You have no idea. This could be the year that, that you step out in faith and lead that person to Christ that you've been praying for for so long. This could be the year that that, that relationship that you thought was going to be broken forever will be reconciled in Christ. This could be the year because of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, that your marriage is the one that you hoped and you dreamed about when you said, I do. And here's what it takes. It takes surrender, make sure he's before all things, to obey one step at a time, and just know he is so faithful. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I pray for every man, every woman, every student in this place. Lord, that maybe this would be the year that your promises to us, your dreams for us, would become our reality. God, not on our timeline, but on yours. God, please help us by the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus, by the love of the Father, by the authority of your word, God. Help us to walk into your promises for us, for your glory and for our joy. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, folks, we respond. That's what we do. Just like Joshua, those are not his ideas. They were God's ideas, and then he responded. We respond. We respond by coming to the altar and praying. We respond by joining our voices together. We're going to sing a new song. Pay very close attention to the words. It is about a brand new journey, ascending a hill with God, that God's best is still before us and not behind us. And we respond, if you're a regular here, by bringing our first and best, our tithes and offerings to the one that loved us first by giving us his best. Let us respond.